Welcome to the Grace Monroe Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Monroe, Georgia, that exists to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. For more information about our church, visit graceformonroe.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. So if you're, if you're part of Grace Family, um, you probably received the e-news this week, and if you don't receive the e-news, then let us know, and you'll, we'll make sure that you get uh, information on what's going on in the church and what's going to be happening on Sunday. And in that e-news, normally we give a little bit of a summary of what we're going to be talking about on Sunday and the text so that you can, you can read it and kind of come, uh, come in fresh. If you did that this week... Uh, then you got up this morning knowing that you were coming to church and, and we were going to be talking, are going to be talking about sin. That's, that's where you clap. That's, just, that's where everybody says, yay, we're going to talk about sin. And if you did not receive the e-news, this is that cold call that you came into a church and we're going to be talking about Sin. So just lean into that for a second and let, let the excitement, if you the hair stand up on the back of your head, that like, this is going to be amazing. This is exciting. And I'm not getting that sense from, from anybody. The looks on your faces don't look like they're, they're excited. This is going to be good, though. We're, we're going to, I'd say we're going to have fun, but we, I, we really are going to have fun. I think we're going to have a bit of a different experience in talking about sin than what we're used to. And as I was reviewing and prepping for, uh, for this lesson, reading over Colossians chapter 3, the first 14 verses, we'll read it together in just a minute. But as I was reading it over, I, I had this overwhelming experience of being taken back in time. And uh, for me, when I first started preaching, it was about 17 years, first started preaching full-time, uh, it was about 17 years ago, and I was... Those of you who know me, I'm, I'm a little bit hyperactive and, and maybe a little bit more direct than, than what some people are used to in the church world. That's got me in trouble sometimes. But if you can imagine that in a 28-year-old body, thinking that I knew something I didn't know, and it's like, I have the responsibility to call people out, right? So e even I, when I was dealing with texts like this, was probably more direct and less understanding, a lot less grace than even the text would call for. I saw things from the slant of my personality, which were more direct. And God's in your face. He said, get right, right? The real experience that I had, though, is I had this memory as I was leaning in. Normally, I'll read the text, and I'll pray over it, and then I'll just kind of let it wash over me. That's my experience. So how is this hitting me? Because God wants to speak to me directly right now. And I was taken back in time to, I would, my family didn't go to church a lot growing up, but my grandparents, my grandfather had been a preacher, and so they went to church every Sunday. And every once in a while, they get tired of my parents not taking us to church. So they'd swing by, grab us up, and we'd have the wonderful experience of going to church and getting pinched by my grandmother the whole time, because we didn't know how to act in church, and I didn't know how to act ever. So not exactly the most positive experience. But that was back in the days of hellfire and brimstone. Even if you're not, if, if church is new to you, we, there's enough in our pop culture that we talk about hellfire and brimstone. And I remember as a little kid sitting there, of course, I'm in pain because she had this way of pinching me that was right here. And if you screamed, it was never going to stop. It was a real torture mechanism. You might have had that experience with your grandparents as well. This is back in those days. But I remember 
hearing about hellfire and brimstone, and, and that there were those kinds of sermons, and some of these preachers were those kinds of preachers. Like, that, they, were, they were dialed into hellfire and brimstone every stinking Sunday. It was their personality. I didn't understand a word that these guys or that guy was saying, but when you think about hellfire and brimstone, it's like, he, he's sweating. So he's hot. Whatever hellfire and brimstone is hot. He was sweating profusely, and he looked like he was hurting. This is back when it was only male preachers. He looked like he was hurting because his face was all contorted, and he was angry, and I was pretty sure that he was angry, angry directly at me, <laughs> right? Like the sermons about sin are about, uh, about turning up the heat so that you'll change your behavior and realizing that, that God, his first stance, this is back then, don't, don't confuse me, what I'm saying. Back, that his first stance, God's first emotion when he's thinking about you is anger. Right? He's disappointed. He's put out. And God wants and believes that you, he needs to communicate in an effective, for you to change, communicate in an effective way just how mad he is at you. Now, 17 years later, I entered into this text, and I was overwhelmed with that, that the emotion of that. And I, I want to tell you first, at the top, I want you to hear this. That is not what we're going to do today. That's not what we're going to do, not because Brandon changed and I'm a little softer, you know, I've got older children now, and... You know, you beat the tar out of them when they're young, and then you feel bad for beating the tar out of them when they're young. I don't think my grandmother ever felt bad about pinching my leg, though. She's never apologized for that. But we get softer as we get older, and maybe we press. Back then, I was pressing my personality into it. I believe now, as we enter into this text, I believe that it's not my personality. I'm still a direct dude. But that I've matured in my relationship with God to have entered back into this text and read it more truly. We always have to, when you're reading the Bible, realize this, you always have to move some things out of the way so you can get God's message, your personality, your trauma, uh, your whatever, like your, your history, your culture. We always have to scoot some things out of the way to try and get to God's true message for us. That's part of reading and receiving the Word of God. But I, I really think that as I entered back into this, and it's, I, I can't wait, I almost want to just tell you up front, but I want you to wait for just a second, that the God is angry that we'll find in this text is so different than anybody ever told me. It's, it's so, so different. And that if we receive what Paul is saying here today, in this text, that if we receive it, here's a problem, we could promise up top, this text, and I think this sermon, will change the way you and I interact with sin. I want you to process that for just a second. We interact with sin. It shows up, we have an interaction with it. I believe what Paul intends to do with us, what God, what the Holy Spirit wants to do is change the interaction, interactions. Sin's always going to be there. Temptations are going to be there. 
we are going to sin. That's fact. But Paul wants to change the way we interact with sin, the way we experience it, the way we receive it. If he can change that interaction, we'll get up faster. We'll be more likely to turn it away when it comes. He wants to change the way we interact with sin. Let me pray. God, I believe that sin has taken root in our lives because we've accepted it as a normal part of life and that we've believed the lie. I pray here and now, oh God, Jesus, will you descend, send your spirit upon us and change the way we see it. Change the way we hear you and see you so that we as your people will be empowered against the wiles of the devil, empowered to win our battles. In Jesus' name, God's people say, amen. So if you would, just take just a second, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, would you slip up your hand, and uh, we'd love, John Michael will pass out some Bibles, um, Danny will, if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love to give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible in your home, we would love for you to take one of ours, and we've got some nice little, little Bibles. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so if you're reading from a different version, that's awesome, but you're going to be like, my Bible doesn't say that. This is the English Standard Version. If you would take just a minute and um, look over, I'm going to give you 30 seconds or so, look over and read mutter under your breath, uh, verses 1 to 14 in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to So read with me. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, he says, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Notice the past tense. You have. He's not looking for something to happen. This has happened. When Christ, who is your life, I love this, I love this, I love that phrase. Like when Christ, who is your life, he's not the life giver in this verse, he is your life. 
It's a song of old that uh, Dennis Jernigan wrote years ago. You are my all in all. You're my everything. This traces back to Colossians chapter 1, that every, in Him all things hold together. Christ, who is your life, the intention of your relationship with Christ is that your life, your everything, is in orbit around Him. Christ, who is your life, you have been, you have been, He is your life. When He appears, notice this, I want you to get this. When He appears, then you also will appear with Him. If, if He appears and you appear with Him, where have you been? With Him. Like, we're not just waiting for Jesus to come, we're already with Him. And so I know that that's a, a brain-breaking reality, but God has offered to you that you, are, that you can be with Him now, so that when He appears in glory, you will come with Him. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, because of 1 to 4, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. If you're a heavenly being, you've been raised up, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these, too, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self which is being renewed. Put, put off your old self, put on your new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, your creator. Here there is not Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. When he says barbarian, he's not talking about CrossFit, by the way. So, just, just so you know. It's not about how big you are, it's about how you act, it's about how you use your guns, not if you have them. Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. He is your life. Put on then. Listen, as God, he's not talking about future tense. He's talking about your reality. If you have received Jesus, this is your reality. Put on then as God's, what does he say? Chosen. He chose you. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against the other, forgiving, you have the capacity to forgive, to process wrongs as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the word of the Lord and all of God's people say, amen. Receive that as the word of, uh, of the Lord. But also, you got to move some junk out of the way, because normally when, when I've heard this, this text used by parents or by pastors, we focus on the middle. It's not that you don't read anything else, but we focus on the middle, because it seems to be the most clear, those verse 5 to 7, where he says, put to death, therefore. And we hear that. And God is angry. 
So if you sum that up, if I were to ask you to, to in, in your past self or even present self, I would say just sum that section up, you would say, you've got to stop doing bad. It's in child, childish language. Stop doing bad. Why? Because being bad makes God mad or it makes God sad. Oh, you're making it. So listen to how parents have at least used to how we've talked to our kids. Don't do that because when you do that, it makes God mad. And we receive that. We hear that. It makes God mad at me. What we found, and that's the, maybe one of the few things that psychology has really offered to religion is that, see, that what that's meant to, to instill in you is a sense of fear and shame. What we found is that fear and shame are terrible long-term motivators. That may, you may have, that may be a mind-blowing concept to you. But even if you understand that, we still live and process good and bad behavior on a system of shame and a system of fear. The idea used to be if we can, if we can let people know how mad God is and that God's going to get you, he's coming for you that we can stop or start behavior. Stop the bad behavior, start the good behavior. And what we found, though, is that one, that's exhausting. That kind of a system is, is exhausting, and that contorts the way we look at God. I mean, how, how much time do you want to spend with a God who's ticked off at you all the time or disappointed in you all the time? No wonder people didn't read their Bibles. I mean, and then you should go spend time just basking in the presence of God. Heck no, man. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I may do some stuff for a minute, but I'm not going to go spend time with somebody who's mad at me all the time. If that were the case, I would tell you. Look back at this verse, though. Look at verse 7. Is God mad at you? Yeah, I know some of you are thinking, yes. Because of me, the wrath of God is coming. That's not what he says. It's not me, it's it. Do you see it? Read it again. Verse 7, in these ones, watch, but it's 8, you must back up, do not lie to one another. Where is it? On account of these, verse 6, on account of not whose or whom's, if we have English teacher, but on account of these. God's not mad at you, he's mad at it. And sandwiched on the other side of this, he starts with, and to just summarize, God loves you. He digs you. Let me just say this. You know, take your worst day, the worst thing you've ever done. God knew you were going to do that, and he, he loved you and chose you anyway. To process that for a second. God knew that worst thing. Those were sin. He knew that he knew that you were going to struggle with sin. He was going to go back to sin. He knew that and loved you. He not only knew that and loved you. He 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 knew that loved you and died for you. The whole package. Not only that, he chose you at the top end. He chose you to be with him. He says, "Come on, man, come into my presence. Dwell with me. Be with me." So when God says, "I want to, who do I want to spend time with?" You. I want to be with you. You are chosen. You are loved. You're a child of God. You're the bride of Christ. He loves you. 
Now, this is, I'm a, we're about to have fun, so. With that in mind, if you are a child of God, if you are the bride of Christ, you're in a secure relationship with Him, go back and read that, the wrath of God, because of these, the wrath of God, see His face, God's mad. I'm not saying He's not mad. God is seething with anger. He's boiling over. If we're in a secure relationship with God, we look at His face, we see He's mad. He's fighting mad. If we're not in a secure relationship with Him, we don't ask anything, we just back away. If we are in a secure relationship with Him, my kids, if they know I'm not mad at them, you know what they ask? Dad, why are you mad? These two questions change the way you read this text. Why is God mad? What is it about sin if the, because of these, all the sinful stuff, because of these, the wrath of God is coming? God's mad. The real question is this. Why am I not mad? I get sad. I disappointed myself. When sin comes, oh man, crud. God's tick, God's boiling over. Why am I not? Truth is, not only are we not mad about sin, we accept it. We accept it as an ordinary part of life. This is just how I am. Oh, can you hear God comes? This is how you are. But I made you new. I made you different. Oh. Little key into why God's mad. Did all this work. I just accept sin. I relate to sin. I want to blame you. I want to say, I want to say you, but I'm afraid you're going to think that there's some I. We relate to sin. We have, a re, we have a relationship with sin. You know what we call it? My sin. So cute. <laughs> you two look good together. My sin. I have a relationship with. How sick is that? When Jesus says, you're my child, I have my sin. You go back and read all the texts that talk about sin. This is the language. This is Paul's thought process. And it's so, so sick. And we identify thirdly with sin. We accept it. We relate to it. We have a relationship with it. And we identify with it. I am a fill in your blank. Something that you did that was horrible, and you accept the label, I am an alcoholic. I'm a drug user. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a convict. And you fill, fill it in. Sin hijacks our identity. And Jesus is like, wait a minute. I, I gave you a new name. I, I gave you an identity. Now, is God mad at you? But that doggone thief and liar has come in to God's home and has stolen what is his. You. Why is God mad? <laughs> because he loves you. And this thing has come in to take you 
from Him. Is that not mind-blowing? Shake your head if it is. It, it is. You should shake your head because it is mind-blowing. It's amazing. So the question is, why am I not as mad as God? Because I don't see what He sees. Until I see sin the way God sees sin, I'll never be as mad as He is. And verse 5 will never make sense. Put to death. Go to war with. If, if, I'm, if I accept sin, if I relate to sin, if uh, I can identify with sin, when sin comes, I'm not going to fight it. Why fight it? I'm kind of cool with it. Make up the spare bed, man. Hang out with me for a while. Ah. But if I see sin the way God sees sin, now react to it the way He reacts to it. That's five to seven. Seeing sin the way God sees sin is one to four in, verse, in chapter three. That's what happens in verses one to four. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above. Seat at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you've died with Christ and your life is hidden with him. The two things, if we'll immerse ourselves in verses 1 to 4, that God is going to show you about sin is that it is a deceiver. The evil one, sin, is a deceiver, and it is a destroyer. It's a deceiver, and it's a destroyer. So first of all, in, uh, with the deception, why do we sin? Whatever your flavor is. Why do we sin? We sin, and you can write this down, we sin because we're seeking to fill a legitimate need or desire. Most always. We, we sin because we're seeking to fill a legitimate need or desire. It's, it, it, at least to us, it's, we feel like it's legitimate, whether that's security, safety, uh, intimacy, Identity, we want to feel better about ourselves. Somebody's made us feel low. Self-protection, safety, once again. Positivity, when things are bad, we want to feel like, we want to know that things are going to get better. Things are not always going to be the way they are right now. We feel that. We sense that need. This is longing and urge, and sin comes knocking. Open the door, and sin says, I can help you with that. And I can do it now, man. I've got it in the truck. We can take care of that need right now. What we don't know is that sin, the tempter, has no intention of ever keeping that promise. Not just that it can't, but it's no intention of ever keeping that promise. All sin can do is offer us a shallow, empty shell and temporary version of the thing we want the most. So when you talk about security, greed, and covetousness, leave us feeling less secure. They're stolen uh, ideas. Adultery. To always leave us less with pornography, less than at the end of the experience. Shallow, empty, temporary. Every one of sin, the sins that we participate in, are a 
false exchange for something real that we need. How does Jesus respond to that? How does he respond to our needs? This is one to four. What does Jesus do? He legitimizes our needs, right? To every one of these, you read each, each one of these, what he does here, he legitimizes our need. You need security? You're hidden with me. You want positivity? Oh, because you're with me, when I come in glory, you're going to be with me. You're going to be with me forever. Notice, not temporary, eternal. Not, Not this cruddy exchange of, okay, I feel okay right now. Now I popped a pill. Woo, I took another drink. I feel okay right now. But as soon as the high wears off, I'm left back in the pit of despair. Jesus says, no, no, no. Your life is hidden with me, and this never has to end. Your identity, woo, you feel ashamed, you feel less than, let me clothe you with my presence. Whatever that nakedness and vulnerability that we feel in our lives, he wants to, offers to, and here's the profound thing, he says, he's already given it to you. So when sin comes knocking, get this, this is going to change some things, but when sin comes knocking, he's selling you something you already possess. You already have intimacy. You already have security. You already have everything. He is your all in all. And you're buying this load of crud that you already have. You just pretend like you don't. Or you forget. How sick is that? I mean, how crazy is that? He says, I've already given it to you. I've given you everything, man. And then you do this. So what does that do? What is Jesus trying to accomplish? By filling your deepest needs, he'll change the way you interact with sin by, sin comes knocking. Sin says, ooh, do you want security? Do you want intimacy? Do you want to feel safe? And he's got his sales pitch out. Mm, mm, mm. You want to feel safe? I got something for you. And you know what you say? No, I'm good. Got like a warehouse full of that, never ending. I'm being funny, but I'm not. Notice the insanity of what he's doing. This is crazy. No, no. Once you realize I already have those, I have access to those things in Christ because he loves me and he gives, showers me with everything that I need. I'm good. And by the way, jig is up, dog. I got your number. I'm joking, but I'm not joking. We have to dialogue with this thing. Get thee behind me, Satan. Have a dialogue with him and say, hey, man, I I, I get the, here's the fact. You can never deliver on that promise. That's the get thee behind me. Who do you think you are? You think I don't see? You are a liar. Can I hear amen? Change the way you interact. But the second thing 
He fills you up, gives you the real thing, so that the fake thing will never. So I'm the kid who grew up in Dr. Thunder. Once you have Dr. Pepper, Dr. Thunder is never going to taste good again. You'll know that's a lie. I mean, it's truth. Drink deep. Drink deep. The presence of Jesus. You can keep. <laughs> and I went back to my parents and said, You did not tell me the truth. It was not the same thing. Drink deep. Let Him fill your needs. I'll change the way you interact with sin. And then secondly, he'll give you perspective. I love the language of verses 1 to 4 because it's all aerial. It's all up. And this, I don't think you'll get this just by reading it. This is me being crazy in the way I read the Bible. So if you've ever flown, it's like, it's like I lived in Oklahoma. I'm about to offend you. Lived in Oklahoma. And uh, the first time I went up in a plane, I thought, man, Oklahoma's, Oklahoma City is really, to me, is not a, a pretty city. I thought maybe when we get up in the plane and fly over, look out the window, and it was confirmed, Oklahoma City is not a pretty city. <laughs> Dallas, on the other hand, where I grew up, first time, I was 18 years old when I flew out of the country for the first time to go live. And I uh, looked down, I was like, this is an amazing city. What, what a view. <gasps> I see things that I'd never seen before. I didn't know that was, I didn't know that was there. Wow, that's where that road goes. Once again, I'm about to blow your mind. You know, Jesus, God, does not experience time and therefore sin or temptation the way we experience time and temptation. Because to him, he sees the end before the beginning. He sees it. So therefore, the thing comes knocking. He looks at it and is like, hey, look, this has not for God. This has not happened. It has already happened. And it, it's not happened. It is happening. And it has already happened. He sees the end. He knows where this is going. And he says, oh, no, man. Not going to do that. That's Jesus in Mark chapter 4, the temptations of Jesus. Right? He sees it. And what he does, he calls you to experience him and to see it too. So the experience a few years back of, um, in fact, I was, was in my first ministry that uh, was, uh, Rena and I were sitting watching TV uh, one evening and um, got a call from, uh, from a, a member of the church and he says, he says, hey, Brandon, I need to come over and talk with you. I said, okay. Come sit in my living room and tells me, he said, there's a, a, a deacon in training in the church who uh, works with him. We'll call him Bob. He says, Bob, um, Bob's not who you think he is. It's okay. All right. He's not who you think he is. He is, is married, two kids, and he says, Bob uh, is, is involved in a, uh, a torrid affair with an intern. This is not the first time. So, wow. Okay. So as he's talking, it was clear that he had bad, this is a really weird thing. He had, he wanted Bob, he was kind of slandering him. He wanted, wanted bad things for Bob. In the middle of the conversation as he's talking, I picked up the phone. This will key in on my personality. I picked up the phone and uh, Tommy says, what are you doing? I'm calling Bob. So why are you calling Bob? He just wanted me to think bad about Bob. <laughs> I said, doo, 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 doo. He said, no, 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 don't call him. So what are you going to, why are you calling him? I said, we're going to get him over here. 
going to have a conversation with mom. Let's, 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 let's help him. I mean, I believe there's help, there's hope in this situation. But somebody's got to talk with him, not talk about him, right? Bob picks up, it's obvious that he was asleep. He says, yeah, man, what's, what's up? Say, hey, man, could you come over to my house? Um, I'd like to have a conversation with you. Um, uh, and this is going to be serious, so, you know, put your drawers on. So he comes over, sits in the living room. Immediately when he walks in, he says, I know what this is about. Faucets start. Well, I have a continued story, and I want to clarify one thing. Faucets start. He ends up owning it, bawling his eyes out. Oh my gosh, I've been trapped in this thing. <laughs> I don't know what to do. So well, let's talk about what needs to happen. I mean, one, you need to cut this thing off. And two, and he panics. He says, no, 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 no. Got to come clean, Bob. You have to come clean. So working through that, Bob says, could you and your wife come over? and help me tell my wife. I'm about, to, I'm about to cry. So Rena and I go and sit in his living room in a too small house with two thin walls. When he gets his wife out of bed and tells her, screams, she beats her chest, beats his chest. You can hear slaps, you can hear why, 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 oh my God, the kids wake up and is crying all over the house. Most horrible thing I'd ever heard in my life. I could tell this story, I could probably use his name, but I'm still not going to because a few years back I did an interview with Bob and his wife in front of our church in Fort Worth talking about that you can recover. They had a beautiful relationship after this experience, but Bob sat in my, enough that they could talk about it in a fully healed way. They They were able to process it and deal with it. Two weeks later, Bob lived with us for a while after that night, and uh, we're sitting up, and well, actually, he lived with us for a while, and then he wanted to go home, and she lived with us for a while, and then they came back together while they were, while they were healing. He's sitting in my living room, and uh, we're talking and, and praying, and he says, he starts talking about that night, and he says, as he's, he's obviously reliving it, the, the horror of that experience. He says, if I had of, listen to this, if I had have been able to hear those screams, if I could have seen her face, I never would have returned that flirtatious advance. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But this certainly would have changed the way he interacted with sin, wouldn't it? Certainly would have changed the way he experienced it. God desires not to give you the, the, the screams and the cries, but to let you see the end before the beginning. If you fool, you see sin as a liar. You see the end where this is going, and you know that this sin has designs on your life. It wants to ruin you. It's just a little. It's just a little lie. It's just a, just a little sleight of hand. It's just a little flirt. The heck it is. Sin wants to steal 
everything that is precious to you. When you know that, you'll hear that differently. Who wants to steal your marriage? Ruin it. Wants to kill your hopes and dreams. Wants to ruin your relationship with your children. You f are you getting mad? Not at yourself. Forget that. Not at the person next to you. No. At it. It wants to take everything. So I'm laying uh, in bed. The band can come up. You guys can walk up. I was laying in bed a while back at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was asleep, dead asleep. And I hear a boom, 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 boom at the front door. I'm awake and whoa, look at the... And under the door, our, our front door is kind of, it's not far from our bedroom door. And I see a flashlight flickering. The light's not on, but I see a flashlight. And of course, my heart's beating out of the chest. And then I thought, this is what we trained for. Loosen up, baby. It's about to get real. Stealthily rolled off the bed. This may offend some of you. I'm sorry. Slid my hand under the bed, unlocked my case, pulled my gun out. I walk to the door, and I take the doorknob, and I'm like, okay. Loosen up, man. Loosen up. Take the doorknob and, and like quick, because I don't want him to get the jump on me, her maybe, don't think so. I want to get the jump on him. Why? I thought it was feedback. Because that person is coming to take what is precious to me. I'm going to open the door and say, hey. <laughs> Oh, you mean make up a spare bed for you? Okay. You want to hang out a while? Let's get to know you. Let's just see. I mean, maybe that person kicks in my front door. Maybe they don't have bad intentions. Let's be, come on. Come on. Maybe. Maybe. Isn't that the sick thing about the way we interact with sin? Let's just check it out one more time. See if. Slide the, whoop, whoop. Stand there. I'm into gun safety. So I'm, I'm not out here, I'm, I'm, and my son is standing there with a bowl of cereal <laughs> and his flashlight because he was trying not to wake us up. So I put the gun behind the door and I walked out and I'm like, Whew. I didn't almost hurt him. I'm into gun safety, look before you shoot. I walk up and I hug him and he asks the question that's most important. Dad, why are you hugging me in your underwear? Because <laughs> he didn't see the gun. I told him the next day. And that changed the way he comes into our house from now on. If he's going to be late, if he's sneaking around or whatever, he is not going to do that again. Why is God mad? Because he loves you. He loves your marriage. He loves your children loves your future. And this thing, the 
that you've made a spare bed up for has crept into his house to steal what is precious to him. The question isn't only why isn't God mad, why is God mad, but why aren't you? Lord Jesus, if you would stand with us, Lord Jesus, change the way we see the devil and his schemes. Raise us up as warriors with you to fight against those things that want to steal, kill, and destroy. Thanks for listening. Once again, our mission at Grace Monroe is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, go to graceformonroe.com connect. Also, if you felt blessed by our ministry and want to partner with us financially, everything you need to know about giving is online at graceformonroe.com give. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed.